Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And Nadia. And we have a guest on. I, I'm still like in shock, honestly, that we have them on. But yeah, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Lamia. Um, I use she and they pronouns. Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. I wrote a book recently called Hijab Butch Blues. It's a memoir. And yeah, that's that's how we connected just I think it was a week and a half ago I was sitting on a plane and didn't realize that the trip happened because I was just reading the book and then before we knew it we landed and I was kind of disappointed because I had to pause this actually ended up on my radar like two different ways um one was in a discord I'm at um somebody asked has anybody read this book and I was like, that sounds like a title I would be into because I'm a huge fan of Stone Butch Blues. And mm. since you're riffing on that, I was just like, hmm. But I was like, okay, you know yeah. what? I'll put that on the back burner. Um, I've got some act- I've got, you know, trash to read instead of actual literature and priorities. <laughs> and then Ali, I was like, you have to read it. I'm like, can you set aside the trash right now? Yeah. I, and, and as a result, I, I read actual literature. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> you would never ellie yeah so uh it it was uh, i mean it felt like such a close to me book um for in in many ways and i'm sure for you too ellie um the setting in new york city and just navigating like finding the right community who understands like queerness is not uh, queerness and not through like a white lens and Mm. it's a struggle um it's a struggle to find kind of the right circle where you know you fit and you feel like you can trust everyone around you to understand you on some level that you don't have to like explain all the time um I think the the first moment I felt that was at a festival called Yala Punk it Mm. happens yeah it happens in Philly well it hasn't for a little bit but hopefully it'll come back it's in some iteration um And yeah, it was um, just a queer affirming space for Swana folks, anyone who had a tie to the Swana region. And it was just a space where a bunch of people came and shared their art and um, really connected um, on a deep level. And that was in 20, I believe 2018 was the first year I went from your book, Lamia, I, it felt like the when you, you went to a specific event in New York where you it was kind of that pivotal moment for mm-hmm. you. I was wondering if you could talk more about that, like the event and kind of how that kind of transformed things for you. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny that you say that, Alia, because um, for me, it felt like it, it felt like this was when I first went to a queer Muslim event, it was it was a space that I like didn't even know that I needed. Um, and it was one that I feel like I had been craving without being able to really name it um, because that sense of community and safety and just like being around people that you don't have to explain things to um, or that, you know, you can think with in newer, more nuanced ways instead of like rehashing the same old shit over and over and over where you're like, yes, I'm queer and Muslim. Yes, it's possible. Yes, I'm not. There are others. You know what I mean? Um, Where you can have more sort of like nuanced conversations about what that means, um, what solidarity looks like, what are the things that we're grappling with. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I found myself in one of these spaces because there was this play um, that 
was put on a few years ago by um, Wazina and Tena uh, called Coming Out Muslim. Mm. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It was playing in New York for a while, then it's also toured. Um, it's I, it, it, I tried I, to go to it and then I didn't go to it. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, cool. they definitely have been playing. They, they've been like doing it a lot. Um, it's it, it's a two person play. And, um, you know, they've yeah, they've been putting it on like every so often. So I definitely think it's worth uh, checking out. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, I went to this play and then afterwards uh, there was like a queer Muslim space um, and I went and like really, truly, it like felt like I had found my people and I had been looking for this space for so long. And, you know, I, it, it's so funny because I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that sometimes like you just need that like one in and once you meet like one or two people it cascades and you meet others um, mm. but like without that like one in it's really hard to be like well where's everyone hanging out how like how like how do I like get in but like it like our communities are so uh, are so sort of like close-knit or you know they used yeah. to be um, in very particular ways pre pandemic shutdown etc um but there's this way in which it felt like i went i met these people and then i felt like folded in um and that really changed like not just sort of like my circle of friends and the people that i was surrounded by um but it also changed it changed for me what i thought was possible with my life um i was mm -hmm. in my like mid-20s at that point and i don't know it like I think one of the things about queerness is that it's hard to imagine futures and it's hard to imagine like it's hard to imagine mm -hmm. what your life will look like because you grow up without models. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like I was around all of these people. Actually, I, I bet like I bet, you know, some of them um, because I'm sure I do. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Overlapping yeah. circles. And and yeah, it just, it felt like suddenly I was around all these people who were living their queerness in ways that were so different and so beautiful and so um, like true to themselves. Um, and I just, I, I wanted to live like that. And it felt, I, I feel like it gave me different sort of like windows in, into what my life could look like. And, you know, this was like a good, like 10 years ago at this point. And it's interesting re to reflect back at it now and be like, oh, um, yeah, I, I'm now living a life that feels, that would have felt impossible to me at that time. I, I know what you mean. Like when I think back before Yellow Punk, before this podcast, mm -hmm. it's hard to even remember in a way because it's, it's not like it was in my consciousness really, like what you mm -hmm. said. I didn't know what I needed. Mm -hmm. And so I think thinking back to those times it's it's even hard to remember how I felt because I didn't know what I was missing mm. um, so yeah that definitely resonates with me I don't know about um, Nadia Ellie yeah. oh definitely for me okay. it's because like I had grown up in a lot of queer white spaces and a lot of mm. like nerd spaces so there was always this you know um, excluded part of the identity coming in. It's like, well, why would you want to associate with Arabs? They're all bigots and whatnot. And they, mm. and the religion so harsh, so brutal. And this was like coming out of, uh, you know, post 9-11 and mm. to a lesser extent post uh, Gulf War, um, Gulf mm. War One, because it was just like, you know, 
you always had the queer white narrative of, you know, you need to come out, you need to be out and proud, you need to represent for people who can't. And if they don't like it, just leave it all behind. And I'm like, but that's my whole culture. And I also really relate to um, what you're talking about in New York of like, you have to get into the fold and then they're in it, um, which mm -hmm. I, I do agree. I think it has changed a little bit in recent years just because I think more more people are doing things publicly or more mm -hmm. things publicly in general. And that didn't used to be the case, which is, you know, good for safety and anonymity mm -hmm. purposes for people who need it. Um, but then one of the other effects is that you could just be like walking around the same city, not knowing this whole thing is here. Yeah. And I know I sound yeah. very sort of like, oh my God, kids these days have it so different <laughs> yeah. when I say this, but like things were very, very different even like 10, 15 totally. years ago. And I think there's this way in which um, I like, I don't know. I think about like forgetting a lot um, and the politics of forgetting, forget, forgetting and what gets forgotten. And yeah, I, I think about sort of like, I, I don't know, there's this way in which I don't want that to be forgotten from sort of like queer culture, that sort of like thinking through safety um, and thinking through really having to build communities in ways that felt really like built on trust and intentionality um, and just having to hide who you were and um, just sort of the like the the, what that brought with it yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean for me um when i found my first uh queer arab group uh was in college and it was this mm. it was these um it was these two filmmakers who were doing a tour with the film and i talked to them and i'm like oh my god you are the only like queer lebanese people i have ever met and this is like sometime around 2003, 2004. And they're like, hey, are you on this mailing list? And I'm not mentioning it by name now because I assume the same rules still apply because this is an international mailing list of mm -hmm. uh, queer Arab women. And the only way you could get on it was to have talked to somebody who told you about it. Mm -hmm. and, and that was it. That was my lifeline for that sort of community for, let's say, 12, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember in college trying to go to a, I, I've always felt pretty, in many ways, kind of not like I fully belong to my Arab family, even though my father is from Saudi Arabia, his whole family is in Jeddah, but I've, I've never really felt like part of that. Um, mm. So I was kind of seeking community in college. So I went to this, like, I don't remember what they called it, like Middle East something some student group um and I, I don't know i just did not feel comfortable in that space um mm. i don't think it was queer as far as i understood and i um and so that kind of pushed me away for a while and i was like well okay i clearly i don't fit into arab spaces and then later it's like don't really fit into like these queer spaces where um people are mostly white and there's this expectation like um like you all pointed out about like the coming out narrative mm. um being being like this very specific thing where like coming out meant a very specific thing like there were no there was no gradient of like if you if you talk to just like the closest people and to you and you let them in on that that's not being out enough. Like mm. you're, you're supposed to announce this to the world. You're, and just kind of 
not have to think about the family aspect or the safety aspect or whatever. Um, so I think that's another huge reason finding this community of where, you know, people have the similar intersections and also feel that similar kind of disconnection from the culture because maybe because of the queerness or for other reasons. Um, it's just like, it's been affirming to meet other people who have similar experiences. The other part of that was a lot of queer uh, community areas, especially in Houston, were centered around bars and the mm. bar scene. And I'm just like, I, there was one part in your book where you were talking about how the queer experience for one person was going to a bar and that was how to be authentically queer. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I related to that so hard because I was just like, so oh, real. Yeah. it's it's so loud. And, and at the time, yeah. all the bars in Houston were smoking and I do not smoke. So I was just mm. like. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, you know, like when I went to like the first time I went to a queer bar, I shit you not, someone stroked my hijab and said, oh. Just like what I, I was like, I'm never coming back here again. Yeah, yeah I did go yeah. back, but um, not for a while. Yeah, uh, that reminds that reminds me of this one uh, this one lesbian bar experience where nearly trans me first like first or second time going out to a lesbian bar and uh, this woman and her girlfriend basically grab my chest and are like, I'm into people like you, and I'm just like. Oh, Oh Never. my god. That's awful. So, so they just like casually sexually assaulted you. Nice. Casually. Yeah. 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 No oh big my deal. God, that's awful. Uh, oh. I could I laugh about it now because it's like twenty years ago at this point. It's it's sad because you expect like when you first go to a queer space, you're like expecting, oh, this it might be safe. <laughs> I might find a sense of safety here, but you might it's not. Like, it's or like, you might not have I yeah. have I finally found my people. But I think talking about this stuff and having a record of like the fact that these spaces are were, were more difficult to find or impossible to find are important because it says it allows you to say and document, hey, things have gotten better. Are they perfect? Right. Fuck no. Yeah. But um, without that, there is a tendency to allow a lot of pessimism to creep in. Like nothing mm. ever changes. The cult you can't change the culture. It's too immutable. No one will accept mm -hmm. this outside of like white America. So um, since we're all talking about like kind of similar experiences of like specific queer spaces um, and so, some of us. So none of the hosts identify as religious um, and we're mostly talking about like culturally or ethnically specific mm. queer spaces um, versus religiously specific ones. Um, although I know Alia, you've ended up in some queer Muslim spaces by. Yeah. Uh, events random events yeah um, yeah and um i don't know maybe we could talk about some of the differences there and uh like what if you've had experiences with both like what leads you more towards one or another mm. that's such a good question um it's it's interesting because um i was born in a country in south asia um i don't mm. actually name it in my book um sure. because i've written about it um using my non-pseudonym name mm -hmm. um and then I grew up in the Gulf um, and uh, I came to the US for college when I was 17. And so it's so interesting 
that you say that because like and Alia like hearing your experiences too um I, I feel like I've like culturally never felt like I belong to like any of those um places yeah. and so being in like culturally specific uh organizations I like I always feel um like I'm not enough and but but now that I'm thinking about it and now that you mentioned that Alia I wonder if like most people feel that way you know yeah, but, like yeah yeah, the like feeling yeah. of not enough but um I definitely like went to a whole bunch of um uh queer Arab spaces um I went to a queer Desi space um which was really interesting because um it was you know it's also really interesting to see the the sort of like like almost like ethno-nationalism and like yeah. like oh my yeah. god xenophobia that like comes up yeah. in some of these spaces um yeah. uh yeah um I went to a queer desi space um a whole bunch of years ago when I was just finally starting to like to um to go to more sort of like queer spaces it, it, I went to a writing workshop um and uh at the space like uh, I I mentioned something about my parents and how they live in the gulf and like like this person just like went on a diatribe like an islamophobic diatribe um Oof. this person was hindu and like was like oh yeah i'm out to my parents because they're not like they're not muslim you know what i mean like and yeah, so or like yeah. they don't like oh, oh your parents live in the gulf oh you should definitely not come out to them like, you know what i mean like it's yeah. just like like all of this like just stuff i just, i remember that stuff coming out um and then um i also found myself in queer sw swana spaces um which was also a really interesting experience um, because uh, it, like there's this, so I, I, you know, lived most of my life in the Gulf. Um, mm -hmm. And at that point, my parents were still living there. And the Gulf is really interesting because you can get citizenship, um, even if you've lived there your whole life, even if you're born there, um, you know, there, and there is also like a lot of um, racism against brown people, against mm -hmm. migrant labor, um, a lot of class stuff. And yeah. so it was really interesting to feel so many of those feelings come up in um, those spaces, um, especially since the queer Swana space that I was in was like trying to figure out its membership um, policies. And I know it's really complicated because you are sort of like, you are creating the space that you don't want overrun by sort of like fetishists, you know, um, mm -hmm. or like Zionists or, um, or, or even like white people. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was really interesting because um, the group decided that I couldn't be a member because I wasn't Arab um, and it asked folks specifically to identify as Arab, um, which I thought was a really interesting choice. But like some a lot of that like xenophobia and like racism, like just like honestly, like brought up a lot of stuff for me around the racism I experienced as a brown person growing up in the Gulf. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I haven't had the best luck with ethnic spaces I, I wonder if any of you have had better experiences before this recording Lamia you and I talked a little bit about like what does Arab even mean mm. um sometimes sometimes I'm like I don't know if I'm Arab even though mm. half my family is from Jeddah it's still like I don't know how you define it because mm. like for people in the diaspora or um people who migrated at some point um from elsewhere to the Gulf and then spent like a majority of their life in the Gulf um, mm. or in an Arab country, like, is that not quote Arab enough? Like, 
it's 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 kind of bizarre to me that there are gatekeepers out there kind of making those definitions and i don't know it's it's kind of like okay who who is who is who is like holding on to some arbitrary definition and why i have definitely been kind of one foot in and one foot out in a lot of like these queer like culturally specific um you know eth ethnicity specific spaces mm. And that's one reason, even though I'm not, I, I'm not a practicing Muslim, um, I have had a lot of, quite a bit of influence um, mm. in my life from my Muslim family. In a way, I have found more of a, a feeling of safety in queer Muslim spaces. And I think it is because, and this is, I think, what you are speaking to, too, like, there's this sense of, like, there's just more ethnic diversity um mm. that's celebrated and just in my experience thankfully with these spaces i'm talking about people have just been very welcoming it, it, there's there you know in, like specifically queer muslim spaces where people aren't in yet i haven't encountered this people aren't like ask having me check a bunch of boxes like mm. do you pray do you pray do you do xyz do you blah 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 it's like okay you exist you can exist with us um and that's it and we've actually we've actually yeah. run into some a similar issue with the podcast because you know we're Ooh. literally queer era podcast uh mm -hmm. and we're like wait where do we draw the line it's like do we and no, we don't and yeah. we decided, yeah, let's let's not. Let's just keep let's just keep mm. the branding. But you know, we've had mm -hmm. queer Desi, we queer Muslim of all flavors, and we're just like, you know what? Anyone who feels comfortable to and the other and we worked on it was like, Well, we're we're queer Arabs, we can talk to whoever we want. Yeah, yeah, that's how I always kind of saw it from day one. I was like, Okay, we're calling it queer Arabs. That's just because the hosts are kind of identifying that way in some way. But it has, it, it, for me, it was like, this doesn't have anything to do with the guests. Like, we can talk to, like you said, Ellie, we can talk to whoever we want and whoever is comfortable talking to us. Yeah, so. I want to say, like, I have, like, two big thoughts about this. Um, mm -hmm. I think, like, first of all, with my personal experiences, I mean, I guess just straight up, I, I think I'm somebody who fits the bill of just, like, Arab American mm. more squarely, so I'm probably not having the same experiences mm. of like somebody who's like South Asian from an Arab country or even somebody who's mixed race. So mm -hmm. some of that I'm just not going to see as much, um, to be frank. Uh, but I mean, I think to any there's always some level of cultural ambiguity with like diaspora versus immigrants and that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I'm not the first person to experience that um but i have in general um i think there's always weirdness about community spaces which become an organization or something mm. when you have to draw borders somewhere um which i think is like not how most community spaces have emerged like organically in life mm -hmm. for most of the time i mean there, like, i think there's a difference between like in real life things form clustered around a particular identity or things connected to that, but they're defined by the, the center and what it's centered around, not like where the borders are. Mm. Uh, and I, I think we, we've been having to 
maybe maybe there's something about like nonprofits or like official community organizing where we have to say like who's Arab and who's queer, mm. which like, I just don't feel like that's how organic communities have worked in most of yeah. life. Um, I don't know. Like I've I've I think I've made decisions about that. Like let's say I was organizing a queer. I don't even like to call things a queer space because I don't like to. Or I'll call it a queer space, but not say you have to identify as queer to be mm. there or a queer centric space, or this is mm-hmm. a space that prioritizes queer people rather than like no cisheads or whatever. Um, mm. I, I don't know, I because don't, policing that gets weird. It gets really weird really fast. Yeah. 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 And I think what I'm more, uh, what I'm interested in these days is sort of like expansive um, uses of terms, like what are things that queer queerness in some ways? Um, mm. And like similar to like, I guess like, like a fuck borders attitude like what how can we create communities that are built on trust and understanding and and also just like being there for each other and also like some of the sort of like affinities that we're talking about without sort of like really like delimiting them um yeah and and i I really really hear you nadia on that switch from like an organic community to something that becomes more of like a space and um so something that becomes like either a nonprofit or like an organizing space. Um, and especially with like nonprofits and donors and grants and like having to have language mm-hmm. around um, yeah. membership and just, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's something there that um, does that we haven't like quite figured out yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then we the have, other uh, are, we have, short statement. Uh, we have been told that this whole obsession over identity is something uniquely American at times. Mm-hmm. I agree to some extent. I mean, I think, I think, well, I think it just looks different in other places, right? Um, maybe there's different identities. People are like, Lebanese people are also obsessed over identities. And oh a my different God. Yeah. Let, let, let's not go there. That will, that will, we've had episodes on that. Let's not do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the um, like queer Muslim spaces. Um, in my experience, like I don't identify as Muslim or even as like culturally uh, Muslim. Um, I mean, my, my mother's family is, but I, it's not, I, I wouldn't define my upbringing as being primarily centered mm. around that. Um, but I've been like more recruited towards Muslim spaces um, than I'm gonna guess than like people who aren't Arab are, mm. or like especially like black people or like East Asians um, mm. who are Muslim. Um, mm. and it's, it's almost like, a I don't know what mm. to call it, but, um, e- even queer spaces sometimes aren't, uh, yeah. they're including people who might not need to be included while also right. including people who need to be included, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, this brings me, yeah, I'm just real quick. In Houston, there was this huge thing. It was like, there was a really amazing queer Muslim space that then became not amazing. Mm. Uh, the person who, the person who took over, wrote this long thing, like this description. Uh, I, what it, what was it, Ellie? Oh, I think I think they said only um, Arabs and Desis allowed. Are, are allowed to remain in the group yeah so it's like there were a ton of like yeah we, we had a bunch of like black members and some east asian members and uh, didn't I, they also I say forget. like no yeah. converts 
what oh yes yes yeah it told it, it just there was a it was a 180 just like when this person took over um and that yeah that just ties into what you're talking about nadia right know? yeah this assumption of like who is allowed to be muslim <laughs> um even yeah. including people who don't identify as muslim yeah that was wow awesome fun times so much to yeah. unpack there i know i know <laughs> like what this is not uh, gonna fully happen in an episode yeah maybe we should talk about the book but <laughs> yeah let's go back to the book well, can I ask, back to the um, happier place made, or, sorry i want to ask what made you decide to write a memoir like what was that uh decision process like um, that's a great question. Honestly, I'm not a writer in the sense that like, I didn't grow up writing, like going, you know, or like taking classes, doing like, um, creative writing, etc. I mean, like, I grew up in an education system where we like specialized in eighth grade, you know, and so like, I hadn't taken any humanities classes through high school um, until I until I came to college in the US. And then I was like, Oh, wait, papers, that's a thing you have to write papers. Um, so it, it was, uh, I, I read a lot though as a kid. And so I was always sort of like immersed in the worlds of storytelling. And I feel like reading is just really good practice for writing. Um, and the way that I came to writing was that, uh, I was telling one of my friends about this incident. Uh, actually, I was, I was telling her about this very specific incident that had happened when I had gone to this, um, queer desi space. And she was like, you know, like you're like angry about this and like it's really fucked up that it happened, but you know, um, like that rage dissipates and doesn't do anything unless you do something with it and you should write about it. And you know, this is a friend that I respect a lot and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll write about it. Um, and I wrote about it and I found myself really enjoying it and I found it to be really cathartic. Um, not in like a not in like a dissipating of rage kind of way but more in like a oh i'm doing something with this um with this incident kind of way um and mm -hmm. you know I, I i actually like i i think microaggressions are like i i think the term microaggression is a misnomer because i i think that a lot of microaggressions are actually like a they build up and then b they're like they're actually just aggressions um, yeah and so I found that writing about things felt um, felt like I could make I could use them to make an argument um, and to really like talk about things and to start conversations. Um, and so I started writing essays, um, and from there I um, I found myself writing one of the essays in the book. Uh, it, it's one of the essays that comes towards the end, um, and it's about taking my partner to visit my family on Eid. Um, as like, uh, and like my, my partner pretended to be my friend. Um, and I was thinking a lot about the story of Hajar. And so to me, like both the, the situation that I was in and the story felt really intertwined and it felt like a way to process mm. the complicated feelings that I was feeling around this like really beautiful, loving act that my partner was doing, um, and that I was engaged in and sort of like hiding, um, was like towards like, it, that sacrifice was towards um, something. It was, you know, uh, it was for love and for family and for um, 
just being able to share parts of myself uh, in very like specific ways. And so, yeah, I thought a lot about Hajar and the story of Hajar and her sacrifice with um, Ibrahim and Ismail. And I, I found myself writing that essay. Um, and when I wrote it, it felt like it, it felt like all of these parallels that I had been thinking about my whole life, but had just never really sort of like um, never really written down. I, I felt like I could write them down. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. yeah. So so then from there, I found myself writing the first chapter of the book, which is um, about Medium um, and yeah. Um, yeah, and sort of like my own coming into queerness and realizing at 14 that Medium was like, was was different and was like maybe potentially somehow like me and could her story could explain some of the feelings that I was feeling um towards women and attraction and I think the book sort of like wrote itself at that point um I had you know I had only written essays in the past so I I structured the chapters kind of like essays um which was really interesting because um because the essays are around a theme and so they're not chronological and so I had to I had to learn how to write non-chronology I had to learn um Mm. like how do you sort of like give your reader enough information that they can follow along where you are in your life um but also trust your reader and like not give too much information um because you trust that they're paying attention um so there are all of these like writing things that I feel like I had to learn um but yeah, it. Uh, I I didn't I didn't decide to write a memoir. It kind of just happened. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that must feel surreal. Um. How are you? Yeah. How are you doing now with like the the book? You know, becoming so well known, and how are you navigating? I mean, you were um, on the NPR. New reality. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a lot, like that escalated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of forgot that when you write something, people read it. Um, Oops. Yeah. Because when you're writing, you know, you're at a desk, at a computer, or like you're at a coffee shop or whatever, and it's a solitary thing. It's like you and the screen. And then mm-hmm. you give it to people to read. Like you give, you know, your first drafts to people to read, and they're just like your trusted folks. Um, and then you write something and then suddenly like everyone can read it. I just, I, I forgot. Um, <laughs> yeah. so that's been like crazy. Cause, um, I'm also, I'm also just like not a sharer. I'm, I like find it really hard to, you know, just yeah, yeah. yeah like be open and vulnerable <laughs> and all of that. Um, but suddenly, you know, I wrote this book and it, it reveals a lot about me. Um, so yeah. Uh, that was feel yeah it must feel kind of weird like all these people you haven't met or interacted with suddenly have this like window into who you are and and, yeah I can't imagine um yeah yeah all these all these people like us being like talk to us (laughs) it's Um, like oh my god we have feelings and we need to share them now (laughs) <laughs> but that yeah. that that brings me to my next question like i've i've written so much garbage in my life what and never published a lot of it and the few things i've published are like fan stuff mm. how did you decide to publish why did you decide to publish um mm. uh, you know oh that's a really that's a really good question um i i think i to me like writing is a political act and so 
to me, the decision to publish felt it it felt like a way of contributing towards um, towards justice. Does that does that make sense? I know that's like a really like cheesy answer in some ways, but um, cheesy things can be true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cheesy yeah. things endure because they are true. That's true. You know, this is a really good point. Yeah. So to me, writing is like, yeah, writing is inherently political. Um, I think a lot about uh, Teju Cole's tweet. Um, I'm totally going to butcher it. Um, it. But it basically talks about writing as writing, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, and as writing and you know, mm. like a, and, and the best writing is being a combination of all three. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think about that a lot. And so to me, publishing feels like a way of writing um, with mm. a GHT. Yes. I, I, oh, I like that a lot. Um, I think too, just people of every demographic needs this story. Um, like there's just not a lot out there um although there is more like, these days there is yeah. more these days yeah but like there could be i more. don't know there could be more <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah did you have um, like a, a target audience in mind while you were writing it like were you thinking it was primarily for people who would relate to it or for people who maybe had never heard of something like that or a combination of both or does that change as you were because this doesn't feel like a lot of queer books I've read where it's like, you know, um, fragile heteronormative person's intro to queerness. This feels mm. like, this feels better. Oh, thanks. That's, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I, I knew that when I was writing the book, I wanted it to be like super gay and super Muslim and unapologetically both of those things. So I oh, knew yeah. that I didn't want to like explain things. I knew that I wanted to just like um, not italicize words that weren't in English, you know, just like some yeah. of those like, smaller things or like not explain things um, um, mm. unless it was, yeah, I, I didn't want to explain things that people could just look up and I wanted there to be layers of meaning. Like I wanted, um, I wanted people who have uh, various sort of like overlaps with my identities to, to get some things that other people would have missed um and mm -hmm. so yeah I guess like my I, I didn't think a ton about audiences I was writing it but I thought a lot about sort of like how I want to write um and I feel like I was really 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 lucky to have both an agent and an editor who um championed that and who weren't afraid to push back when um when when like more explanation was asked for or like or or when, yeah, um, yeah, or when like, like, just like line editors were being like, well, this, this and this. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel like I was able to do that because I had people who had my back. That's great. Oh, yeah, that is really good. Yeah. But you, you could say, well, no, this is my intention. Here. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it reaches the audience better that way, because a lot of us are kind of sick to death of, you know, baby's first queer story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're ready for the next thing so, yeah 
Yeah. Okay, but now I really want to read Baby's First Queer Story. <laughs> Ellie, are you going to write this? Cause no, yeah. it's it's already it's already been, there's like several been already it's written. It's already been written. Come on now. There's there's several movies. I mean, if you want, to, if, if you want me to like start hating on people, okay. Uh, the Danish Girl, Hedwig and the Angry oh Inch Somewhat, Transistor Radio. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I oh. love I love those people and authors, but I, I cannot stand this reading the same story yet again. <laughs> Ellie, you just burned a bunch of potential bridges in like a second. <laughs> if any of but, these people want to come on the podcast and justify themselves. Yeah, to no. Thank you, Case. <laughs> um yeah well probably I, yeah, not I know what you mean. But, yeah probably not i mean that's also why i liked um the books um you know i, I want to call it namesake name neighbor um stone butch blues because it wasn't mm. that mm. and that's why that book originally resonated so much with me just even though i wasn't of that generation or of that time i was like shit this is like some really messy queer stuff yeah. fuck yeah yeah. yeah yeah and the reason why i riffed off the book um actually like goes back to some of the stuff that we were talking about about sort of like why write um i feel like stonebridge blues uh, is like one of the most beautiful examples of telling a story that is both personal and political at the same time um that sort of like is at the level of this narrator who is you know living their life but is also just like speaking to like much bigger issues like class, gender, labor movements, um, queerness, mm. just, and, and again, that sort of like politics of not forgetting. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I, it was a book that like really, really resonated with me too. And I, I think I read it in my like twenties. Um, and I, I feel like it changed how I think about what literature can do. Mm. I mean, yeah. let's face it, my whole love and affinity of leather jackets is because of Stone Butch Blues. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> uh, well, but also sad. Why is it sad? Because of the non veganness uh, of it all? No, oh, no. like real. Oh, no, real, uh, real leather. Okay. No, no, not, not that. It's because in the book, that was somebody, the leather jacket was basically belonged to somebody else. And it was their mm. armor, and they had fallen, and uh, Liz oh. took up their armor. Mm. Oh, wow. And mm. I explained it badly, but I'm also about to cry if I talk about it more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah fair, fair. Um, yeah. Go read both books, folks. They're really, really <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this has been so incredible to get to talk. And um, speaking Alia? of just... Oh yeah! Before we before we launch into the wrap up, you will hate me if I don't do this. So, why did you decide to go with the gin analogy? Because I know Alia loves gins. I love gins. <laughs> I love gins. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I I mean that was an analogy that um, I mean I okay I like. Alia, I'm so sorry. I still really hate gin stories. And every time anyone starts <laughs> talking about one, I'm like, I can't listen talk. I know, um, I know. <laughs> you would, yeah, I, I'm holding back right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, um, that I, one of the chapters in my book is about sort of like gin and it's told through gin stories. Um, 
And the thing that I find really fascinating about jinn is both their like invisibility and hypervisibility. Like there's this way in which everyone has a jinn story and like people love telling jinn stories. And there's this way in which they're like, there's this sort of like hyper awareness of their sort of like existing amongst us um, while they're also invisible. And to me, that's that felt like a really apt analogy for race um, and especially sort of like being a brown person, being a brown hijabi um, in uh, post 9-11 yeah. America and, and pre 9-11 America as if things weren't really mm -hmm. shitty before that too. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think about that a lot, the way in which like there, like, there are times when people just see through me, just, like people don't even see me in some ways and just won't interact with me as if like I'm not there. But at other times I'm like, I'm hyper visible. I'm the one like constantly being like randomly selected or I'm the one that people don't want to sit next to on the bus. And mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, to yeah. me that the, the gin analogy felt like a really interesting way to think through um, how I've thought about race. Yeah, that's really powerful. That reminds me of the this, you know, when you were at the art museum and the cop just randomly, so-called randomly, went up to yeah. um, so, and just like ruined the what should have been like mm. an amazing first experience um, for you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That analogy with gins like runs very deep. Yeah. Uh, so, how can people Speaking of visibility online, are you pretty active online? Where like people smooth? Can, um, yeah. Do you do you like my transition? <laughs> I was trying to do a creative one. Um, Speaking of Jen, uh, yeah, Jen to Instagram. Um, so yeah, is Instagram kind of the main platform you use? Yeah, um, I use both Instagram and Twitter. Um, my handle is the same on both. It's at Lamia is angry, L-A-M-Y-A-I-S-A-N-G-R-Y, um, because I do a lot of um, angry rants. Uh, also, because the world is a terrible place, and we're literally... We're literally in the, in the middle of a genocide right now um, yeah. of Palestinian people. Um, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if you are buying my book, I ask that you not support Amazon um, and buy through yes. your independent bookstore um, or your local library. Um, yes, which we love libraries. Libraries are amazing. Yeah, they're under some threat lately, unfortunately. As uh, usual. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can find us at the Queer Arabs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. Our website is thequeerarabs.com. And free Palestine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes.